You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. As the Apostle Paul would say, I bring you greetings from Northside Medina. It is great to be back with you, great to receive hugs. And some of you that you know, come and ask, where have you been? Well, I've been on a hiatus for six weeks in, North Medina, in Medina. Uh, when you don't see many of our staff members from week to week, remember we are one church, two locations now, so they have to split themselves where I am pretty much 95% in Medina. Uh, but once every quarter, Robin and I will switch so you don't forget what I look like and you know I'm alive, all right? But a lot of you ask, you know, how is Medina? So I want to give you a little bit of update before we take up our offering this morning about our second campus. Most of you know we launched October 6, which is about six weeks ago. And I first and foremost want to give a big honk honk way to go to over 60 people, volunteers, servants who decided to get out of the bleachers, the seats that you're in, and get onto the playing field, as I like to say. Without those 60 people loading in and loading out, it would not be happening. Every Sunday now, for the past eight weeks, they have gotten to Medina High School between 7 and 7.30, and they don't leave until noon. It would all, I emphasize, not be a reality without their help. And so right now, They are worshiping as we are worshiping here. So I want to give them a hand. Maybe they can hear us in Medina. Will you do that? That's awesome. God's been moving in some amazing ways. We're just kind of holding on and letting him lead. By his power, we have grown nearly 200% since opening day. 200%. That's awesome. Just two weeks ago, Brenna and I, my wife Brenna and I, started what we're calling Panera with a Pastor. And it's just a chance for anyone who's new to Northside Medina to come and eat lunch with us at Panera, ask questions about the church or whatever, get to know us. When we first scheduled it, promoted it, I thought, will anybody even show up to have lunch with us? But we had 12 people show up, 12 of them who have never, ever been to Northside before. And so that's awesome. The Holy Spirit is moving, growing people, and healing people. Many of you are aware of Tony Horn and a couple weeks ago, his accident, where he was driving his car early in the morning and an elderly lady by the name of Doris went out to the road to get her mail. He tragically struck her and hit her, she passed away. The family is thankful as well as the horns and everybody involved that Doris is a believer and she's in heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't take away the pain, the hurt, and agony that Tony's going through. And so last week during our service in Medina, we had Tony and Cindy come up front. I encourage anyone who was in the room to come up, lay hands on them, and we prayed over them for God's healing in their life. As a result of that, I received an email from Cindy, 
Tony's wife again and I asked her for permission to share it with you today. This is what she wrote. Jeff, just wanted to thank you and for all the love everyone gave to Tony and I yesterday, as well as again tell you how spirit-filled the service was. God has a plan for this location. I need to add that for me being surrounded by my church family and receiving that kind of love was a new experience. For me personally, as I've never been prayed over in that way before, I was in awe of God's gift. It reinforces why we need a church family to go through life together. I am the person who usually wants to lick her wounds in private and only share with a very select group. Showing my pain to others has always been difficult for me. And while I've always been more than willing to share my testimony of how God has covered me through all my illness and every other life trial imaginable, I didn't realize how much I needed to grow and expand in that area until yesterday. As we walked forward, Amy immediately stepped out in the aisle and grabbed my right hand. She and I have, become, have been friends for many years. She's one of my favorite Northside members. Just recently, I met Heather Rojas. In the past five weeks, we have become prayer partners and, and close sisters in Christ. What is so awesome is seeing in God's providence how whether it is someone he brought earlier or someone within weeks, he knows exactly who we will need to endure whatever trial he has before us. He is sovereign, he is true to all his promises. And he is, he is always present, which is something that brings me peace every single day. The testimony that Tony and I will have as we navigate the waters of this healing will be extraordinary. And as I watch my husband go through the pain of brokenness, I continue to try to see past his tears and remembering the beauty and growth that can only come through brokenness. I believe without a doubt that this will come to a good end. You cannot imagine how comforting it is for me to have this second location to worship. And you can count on the horns to try to win one and to serve the new needs there. Many thanks and know you are, know you are prayed for daily. In his grip, Cindy Horn. So many needs. So many people already touched that would have never been touched, possibly, if you wouldn't have had the faith and foresight to start Northside Medina. To jump in the water not knowing how deep it's going to be, how fast the current might be or where it might go. You say, yes, let, let's move forward. And you showed you were for it last week during our special Thanksgiving offering. Each year, those of you who have been around Northside know every year we have a special Thanksgiving offering that goes for a cause. In the past, the offering has been designated to renovate or update the Wadsworth campus, emergency fund for local and foreign missions. Last year, it went towards Northside Medina. And because of your intentional generosity, lives are being changed and God's making a difference. 
This year, it will again go to Northside Medina. You say, why? Well, last year, the offering was near $80,000, $100,000, whatever it was. That plus what had been saved, over $200,000 went to making it just launch. Now, we are in need of funds to help us extend into the future and keep on keeping on. And so next week, you have a chance. And I ask that you pray with your family, pray as an individual, how you will give above and beyond your tithe during this time next week. If you are not able to be here next week, in your program, there's a little insert. It has a website for which you can click on even today and give there. But again, from the bottom of my heart, I praise you and thank you for the opportunity. And God's gonna move. We don't know what's next, but we're hanging on to see what God's going to do. Let me pray for this week and for next week, please. Father, we thank you so much for showing up. God, you truly blow us away by the power of your spirit and the way that you move. God, we pray that you would move this morning. God, as we offer up our gifts to you in praise. And God, we pray that you would move in a mighty way on which only you can do through our special Thanksgiving offering. God, that truly, truly, we can take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series entitled All In. And when I saw that series title, one of the topics that I came up with and I thought of was in it to win it. Say it with me. In it. When you hear that phrase, you're usually entering into a business venture or a sporting event, but your intention when you enter into it is to succeed and not to fail. Most of the time when we hear that phrase, it refers to, it refers to something in the sporting world. You might be watching a highly competitive basketball or football game, and it's close all the way towards the end, but then it becomes obvious which team's going to win and which team's going to lose. The losing team, in effect, then will sometimes take a cheap shot, you know, maybe hit somebody over the head with their helmet, you know, I don't know, but take a cheap shot, trash talk, try to get the winning team to make a mistake. But if you're on the winning team, you don't get alert into the trash talking, you don't jump off sides. Usually what happens is they give a one-word response to the trash talking. And when they give it, they point. They say, scoreboard, 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 scoreboard. All right? That's what they say. They, they, they don't hesitate. They say, Go, bring it on, scoreboard, scoreboard. Because all that matters to them is the win. They don't need all the other stuff. When it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to the church and being all in, what is our scoreboard? What constitutes a win? I want to make sure everybody understands here at Northside what a win is for us. You've heard me use it already today. You hear it all the time. It's printed on the walls. There are three phrases, love God serve others, win one. Say it with me. 
That's our scoreboard. Everything we do is funneled through that phrase. If it doesn't meet one of those three things, goodbye. Goodbye. We want people to love God, to honor God, to glorify God with all they've got. We want people to serve Him, serve others. When those two things are happening in many, many forms, the scoreboard lights up. That's a win. But the ultimate win is when we win one, meaning we win someone else to Jesus Christ. How many of you are a disciple of Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay, what constitutes a win is when you make a disciple. And they make a disciple. And they make a disciple. When you get on out there to five or six, you're going, cha-ching, cha-ching, win, 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 win. Right? That's what we're about. So when you think of in it to win it, I don't want you to think so much about the physical thing of the world, like sporting side, but think of the spiritual side. How's it apply to your faith journey, your spiritual walk? Now help us do that. Turn to James chapter 1. If you have your Bible, if not, you look on your cell phone, James chapter 1. James is one of the most practical books in all the Bible. Very short book. If you're a fast reader, you can read it in about 10 minutes. I can even read it in 15 minutes, all right? So go for it. James sends his greetings to the Christians there, to the Christian leaders, it says, to, who have been scattered. Why scattered? Persecution has a way of doing that to you. Pain, trials have a way of doing that to you. And James writes this letter to the believer saying, hang in there. You just keep pressing on. Don't lose hope. So I want to pull three steps to help you and I be in it to win it from this section of Scripture. First, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. James 1, 2-4. James writes, consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James says, consider it pure joy. Why? Well, because you know this testing, this pain you're going through is going to result in your maturity and in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If, a, if you tell a woman who is thinking about having a child, you say, whoa, 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 you don't want to do that. I mean, nine months, you have pain, you're, you have agony, you're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, and and don't, not to mention the pain you go through for labor to birth the child. You're crazy if you want to have a baby. But let's say she goes through it all, through all the pain what happens once they place that baby in her arms? And she's able to hold that baby, look in the child's eyes, caress that baby, and put that baby to her chest and feel the baby's heartbeat. All the pain, all the trials are forgotten. And you know what she's liable to say? Yeah, I think we're going to have another one. 
The pain and the trials when you focus on it is one thing. But James says, don't let that be your focus. Focus on what God's going to do through you and in you because of it. C.S. Lewis said, God speaks to us in our pleasure, but God shouts to us in our pain. Man, I love that. If I were to ask you, how many of you started your spiritual journey because life was going great for you? I mean, your marriage was just smooth as silk. Your kids were getting straight A's. You got a bonus at work. So, yeah, I'm going to accept Christ. I don't think many hands would go up. But if I asked you how many of you started your spiritual journey because of some trial, some pain, some hurt, I think a lot of hands would go up. Maybe you might say, I started my spiritual journey when my marriage failed. I started my spiritual journey when I lost my job. We were fortunate to be in Cleveland last night at a prison ministry, a banquet for a prison ministry. Those inmates, former inmates that spoke and served, 99% of them would say, I started my spiritual journey when the judge looked at me and said, you better get your act together. Gene Apple says, let's face it, the fact is we are rarely, we rarely grow unless a painful trial prods, pushes, and prompts us. Everyone in this room is in one of three groups right now. You are either in the midst of a trial coming out of a trial, or heading into a trial in the future. Let me focus here for a second. You're either in a trial, in the midst of one, coming out of a trial, or heading into a trial in the future. Let me do a test. How many of you would say you're in the midst of some kind of a trial in your life? Raise your hand. Bunch. How many are just coming out of a trial? Okay, now everybody can raise their hand because there's a trial coming in your future. There's one on your Doppler radar, a storm. I am privileged to have Corey Witta up here with me today. About six months ago, I said to him, I said, uh, Corey, sometime I'd like you to give your testimony in a message that I give. I don't know when God's going to move in that direction, but if you can write it, and it was really quick, he wrote it. It was like 27 pages long. I thought, hmm, Corey, it has to be shorter than that. But I wish he had time to share it all, but I am thankful he's here to share today. And so let's welcome him. He's got quite the testimony and story to do it. Good morning. So... As he said, when I first wrote out my testimony, I just wanted everything that has happened with my injury, I wanted to throw it all out there. And if I came up and did that, it'd probably be like a two hour long thing. Um, So when I recorded it, finally shorted it down, I sent it to Jeff, I was like, 11 minutes should be good. Um, And then I did it last week and I was like 13 minutes. The second service last week was like 15 minutes. This morning was probably like 17 minutes. So we'll see how long we go today. But but everyone in this room has played some role in 
the recovery process and support of my injury over the last 10 years. Whether that's been intimately been in my family or friends or close network or just watching online, even um, between the two services this morning, someone came up to me and said that they were part of the team on the ambulance that took me from the field to Akron Children's Hospital. And as I think of how I could pay back that love and support that this church and the community has given me, the only thing I could possibly think to do is share the hope and joy that I have in Jesus Christ with everybody and hope that something I say could strengthen your desire to get the same thing. I've gone to Northside my entire life. I was baptized and became a child of God the day before my 11th birthday. Unfortunately, I quickly became a poorly behaved child of God. Through my middle school and high school years, I lived for the world, lived to fit in, lived to have as much fun as I could, try to feel popular, try to feel successful by worldly standards. I lived this way up until my senior night football season. During that game, since it was senior night, my parents escorted me out onto the field, and I read, or the announcer read a short bio that I had wrote in front of the crowd. In that bio, I had stated how important my faith is in my life. Unfortunately, I wasn't living a life that would show that to be true. And so part of me thinks that the events that happened that night were more of a prove it, prove that your faith is important in your life type of thing. So as the game began, the first half was pretty boring. Actually, the score was zero to zero at halftime. The first play of the second half, I was on the kickoff team. And for those who don't know football very well, kickoff, your one goal is to run as fast as you can and whoever catches the ball, tackle them. And I had done that 5,000 times since the age of eight and knew what I had to do. So when the play happened, I did what I was supposed to do, sprinted down the field and tackled the ball carrier. Unfortunately, this time it was a little bit different. As I made the tackle, a bunch of other players all converged at the same time and the weight of the other team and my teammates all converged down on me. Now at the bottom of the pile, my neck was compressed down and I suffered a serious neck injury. I didn't go unconscious, um, but my whole body went tingly and my head was a little numb. I didn't fully realize what was happening. It, my teammate, Anthony Petrella, whose family also goes to Northside, reached down his arm to try to help me up. And I tried to reach my arm to meet his and realized that my arm wasn't moving, that I realized I couldn't move anything at all. The rest of that incident is sort of fuzzy, but there's a few things I remember. I remember apologizing to my coach because he said to never lay on the field because all it will do is worry your parents. And I also remember making my dad promise to not bother taking me off the field unless I would walk again. Well, I did get taken off that field into a hospital where they did x-rays. The x-rays showed that I had a crack in my C4 and C6 vertebrae that and they compressed down, completely crushing my C5 vertebrae and pushing it into my spine. When the doctors got these results, they acted really fast, so fast that they didn't really have time to explain to me what was going on. Immediately, they put screws in my heads to, re to relieve the pressure on my neck and started prepping for surgery. I went into two 10-hour surgeries and have scars on my body to show it. I have 12 stitches on the front of my neck and 36 staples in the back. Now, during and before these surgeries, I really had a moment where I didn't think I was gonna survive the night. In fact, I thought for sure I was going to die. 
what this did was cause me to talk to God for a real conversation with God for the first time in a long time. I asked him to take this away from me. It was too much for me to handle. Send Jesus down to handle it for me because I can't do it. I got a message back to just keep fighting. A few more seconds, a few more minutes, a few more days, a few more weeks. Just keep fighting through it. Now, through all this, since I was on a lot of medication and the stress on my body, I was in a state of confusion. I actually slipped into what they call ICU psychosis, where you kind of lose your brain because of so many changes and so many different things going on. In this time, this quote always comes to my mind. You won't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. While I did have the support of my family and the community and the church, I was so out of my mind that truly in those moments, Jesus was all that I had to get through. Now this state of confusion lasted about three weeks. I got injured on October 30th, and it wasn't until my sister woke me up on November 19th and said, hey, today's your half birthday, that I really have enough memories to put stuff together in a chronological order. Now when I did wake up that morning, I looked at a poster on the wall in the hospital room that had my name, and a picture of me playing football. I stared at that poster, and I was in such a weird state of mind that I wasn't sure if that was me on the wall. Everything was just so different and confusing that I just wasn't sure of anything. As I stared at it, I figured it probably was me, otherwise it would have been a really strange hospital, and I probably was Corey Weida. I probably did play football. From that point on, I was basically starting at square one physically. I had to relearn how to breathe, relearn how to swallow food, and everything else you can think of. I built a whole new life around rehab and rebuilding my body as best as I could. I was really successful. I was told I would never be able to breathe without a ventilator. I was told I would never be able to push my own chair, and I'm able to do both of those things now. But even with those physical gains, I was still struggling mentally. It was not till like a year or two after the injury that I realized that whether I was happy or I was sad, I was gonna have a spinal cord injury. So it was my decision whether I wanted to be a happy person with a spinal cord injury or a sad person with a spinal cord injury. It was that simple. And on that day I decided I might as well be a happy person with a spinal cord injury. So at that point on, I decided I wanted to build my future instead of just focusing on rebuilding the past. So I enrolled in school and that had its own challenges. I had to learn how to go to school without being able to hold a pen or a pencil or relearn how to use a computer with my limited hand function. But I eventually figured out the school stuff and moved on through that. And a few years later, um, I was doing well in school, about to graduate, but I was still struggling internally. I was struggling because I had gone back to my middle school and high school life or where I was trying to fit in with the world, live for the world, and ignoring my relationship with Jesus Christ. It wasn't until I hit a internal rock bottom that I realized that I really needed to renew my faith and commitment in Jesus. This was around the time that I decided I was gonna go to law school. So when I showed up on the law school campus, I, I knew I wanted to find a Christian organization to join to support me in the new school. I found the Christian Legal Society, which was a group that met once a week during lunch um, to just comfort each other and study the Bible. Unfortunately, out of, out of 500 students in the law school, only about five attended each week. And around the five-year anniversary of my injury, so five years ago from now, 
I felt a strong conviction to share my testimony with my new law school classmates. So I did similar to what I did today. I shared it on Facebook, said, hey, come to our meeting. I'm going to share my story. And to my surprise, about 80 students showed up to the, our next meeting to hear my story. The really cool thing was some of the students that were there were international students that had never heard about Jesus before. There were also professors and maintenance workers that came. It was really an amazing experience. I had never stepped out and shared my faith in that way before that. And it was truly an uplifting experience to be able to do that. Now, in my mind, I think God must have gave me a gift for doing that because within eight days of doing that, a girl named Kayla got in a really serious car accident where she also hurt her back. But because of that car accident, we connected on Facebook. And through our connections, speaking online, we eventually decided to meet up. At the time we met up, I invite, invited her to come have lunch with me, and I was working for the Cleveland Browns at the time, so I invited her to come there. I strategically planned it so that it was Veterans Day, so actually the whole building was closed and I was the only one there. So I got to give her a tour of the place like I owned it, and our lunch date ended up lasting three hours. I quickly knew that Kayla was who I was meant to marry, and seven months later, I brought her back to that same place with our whole family there and proposed to her, and she said yes. Over the next year, we graduated from school and planned a wedding, and I started studying for the bar exam. For some strange reason, we thought it would be a great idea to take the bar exam and get married in the same week. <laughs> I say we take the bar exam because Kayla actually came down and was allowed to type for me on the exam, so she took it too. So we took the exam, three-day test, came back on a Thursday night, and got married in this sanctuary on that, that same Saturday. I passed the bar exam, and the wedding was a bunch of fun, so it, even though it was a crazy plan, it all worked out. That fall after our wedding, we did something that was completely out of our comfort zone. We attended a small group mixer here at Northside. We had no idea what to expect, and if we were really committed to it or what we were gonna do about it. But when we showed up, a guy named Rich that you might have seen up here playing guitar walked up to us and said, hey, I'm starting a new small group. We'd love for you guys to join. And I looked at him kind of funny because he had said that they were meeting at his house. And he immediately was like, well, actually we could meet at the church and then it would be a lot more accessible. So we joined this small group, and it was a perfect fit because a lot of the people on the, in this small group are on the worship team, and as you saw earlier, Kayla loves to sing. But that small group has transformed my life more than anything else that I've already said to you today. Those eight or nine couples that we meet with once a week and study the Bible and fellowship with and just really love on each other has really transformed the way I live my life and want to live my life. It's created a 24-7 thirst for wanting to know God's will or wanting to know what's in the Bible to where I would rather spend any free time I have learning something new about Jesus than studying the law or reading up on the most absurd thing the Browns did that week. So what lessons can be learned from my 27 years of life and 10 years with a spinal cord injury? The first lesson is that I am grateful for my injury. The injury has taught me so many things and I wouldn't be where I am today without it. It's also protected me from a lot of things. If I was 
as independent as I would want to be, I would have been led to way more temptations in college that I was actually shielded from, even though I still made poor decisions before I renewed my faith. I also am humbled by my injury. When you don't have full control of your bodily functions or when to go to the bathroom, it's hard to maintain a strong ego. And anyone who's played fantasy football or board games with me knows that I could use a little humbling every now and then. Lastly, I've learned that I have to completely trust God. There's so many different things that could derail my day that I have to just trust God that I'll be able to get through it to string enough days together to graduate from school, pass the bar exam, and hold a job as an attorney. Last of all, I know that the reason that my injury occurred was so that the power of God could be shown in my life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, when speaking of his own injury, he writes that three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The first thing I notice about this is that it only took Paul three times to get the message from God. For me, I probably had to ask God about three million times to take away my injury before I moved on to the next thing of listening to what God had to say. But if Paul is willing to boast about his weaknesses, then so am I. So what are my weaknesses? I'm paralyzed from the chest down, which also includes my hands. My grip is really weak. I have constant nerve pain, which if you don't know what nerve pain feels like, it's a mix of that feeling when your foot falls asleep, plus a really bad sunburn, plus being on fire. And I feel that all day, every day, since the moment the injury occurred, whether I'm sitting up, laying down, it's just a constant pain that I feel. And I'm also unable to do a lot of the things that I loved to do in the first 17 years of my life, like playing sports or playing games outside. But through all these weaknesses, I can proudly say that I find joy and peace in Jesus Christ. And my whole purpose for sharing this whole story with you is that you can find something in my life that you can relate to that would make you feel the same way and make you turn your eyes towards Jesus as well. So whether you're going through a physical struggle like mine, a social struggle where you're not feeling accepted, or even just struggling with a really strong temptation, I hope that you'll turn your eyes towards Jesus, build a relationship with him, and that will help you get through it all. Thank you for listening to me today. Kayla, Kayla, this is out of practice, this wasn't practice. Uh, one of the quotes that I skipped unintentionally is that in life, you cannot have a victory without a battle. You cannot have a victory without a battle. And these two have been in a battle uh, together. And if I could have shared the 27 page, she's been involved and weaved in this a lot. Um, but I praise God that they now have a victory in Jesus Christ. I thank Corey for three times we got to do this now. But I'm going to pray for these guys. We're going to come up on this side of 
do that. If you guys just bow your heads, we're going to pray for these guys. Father, thank you for Kayla. Thank you for Corey, God. Thank you for the inspiration they are to so many people. Hundreds of people, God, over the last two weekends have heard about your son, Jesus Christ, and the power and the joy that he can give even in the midst of the battles of this life, God. There is victory to be attained. God, be with them, surround them. God, I pray this opens up a window that Corey can share his testimony to even thousands and thousands of people so that he can be used uh, in a mighty, mighty way, God, as he already is. And be with Kayla as she surrounds him and supports him. Father, we thank you um, for the pains of this life that become joys because of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give him a hand one more time as he heads down. I am gonna quickly finish this morning. If you are a uh, timekeeper, I once had an elder when I was lead pastor that pulled out a book in an elders meeting and he showed me for the past seven years how long I preached every single Sunday. Uh, so if you're a watch looker, I'm going, we're going to be about eight minutes after. So you can relax and say, okay, eight minutes after off. All right. Second lesson, pray for wisdom. This is huge. James 1, 5, and 6, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because when he doubts, it's like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Pray for wisdom, and trust God's going to deliver. You heard uh, Corey saying, he also referred to the Apostle Paul with his thorn in the flesh that they prayed for God to remove that. In your outline, on your outline, that's the natural prayer. To say, hey God, our first reaction, hey God, see what's going on down here? Uh, this hurts. This stinks. God, take this away. But James is saying, take it up a step and pray an unnatural prayer. It's okay to ask God for help, but don't ask him to take you out of it. Whoa. Thank him that you're in it. And say, God, since I'm in this trial, since I'm in this pain, God, what is it that you want to teach me? God, give me your wisdom. And as you pray that, believe that he's going to deliver. Paul said, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works to good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Our challenge is to wait long enough for God to move. Third and final, focus on the crown. This is huge. James 1, verse 12. James writes, Blessed is the man who perseveres, woman who perseveres, under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James says, you need to remember, life is very short. How many were here maybe probably 10 months ago? I talked about this, and I had an air freshener up here, and I squeezed it, remember? And we watched the mist, and how quickly the mist disappeared. James says, that's how short life is. It has an ebb and flow, ups and downs. He said, but there is a crown waiting 
for the person who perseveres to the end. Any great athlete, whatever sport it might be, he has to have the ability or she has to have the ability to propel themselves to the finish. Which means if they're running a race and they hit the wall, the only way to bust through that wall is to be able to visualize the tape at the end that they're going to go through. The only way to visualize and make it through a tough football game, wrestling match, whatever that might be, is to kind of think, okay, standing on that top rung, <clears throat> getting that medal. Close your eyes just for a second. <clears throat> Can you picture it? Can you picture heaven? What's it look like for you? That's the finish line. Can you picture receiving your crown? You can endure ridicule. You can endure persecution. You can endure all the pain this world can throw at you. If you keep that picture in your mind of heaven and your crown. You can open your eyes. Victor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist, also a concentration camp survivor. He once said, he who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. What's your why? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 challenges us. You know this. It says, let us run. Stand as I read this. Stand as I read this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, you know who the joy was? You. You. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, underline that, highlight that. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when you're tempted to give up on that friendship, consider him. When you're ready to give up on that unsaved coworker, consider him. When you're ready and tempted to give up on church because it has so many hypocrites, consider him. When you're tempted to give up on school because nobody likes you, consider him. When you think your marriage is over because the feelings are gone and the wounds are so deep, consider him. In that moment, consider Jesus who endured the cross for you, for you. And when your soul is so dark and you're tempted to throw in the towel, consider him. And if you have to crawl, crawl. But cross that line. And you say in the depths of your soul, by God's grace, by God's power, and for his glory, 
I will persevere because the finish line is closer than you think and there is a crown waiting for you say this with me I'm in it to win it say it no you're not say it I'm in it to win it again I'm in it 